0: Jesus must have been the first homiletics teacher because every sermon since has pretty much followed his format. Sermons typically have an introduction, then they have the body, and then they have the conclusion of the message. And that's exactly how Jesus' sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, was crafted. And last week as I was listening to Pastor Larone give her message, I was sitting in the congregation like you all, and I was listening to Pastor Laronne, uh deliver her message, and I realized partway through her sermon that I had given her two different sermons. The text I had given her was the golden rule, which was the conclusion of the body, and the narrow and the broad gate, which was the, uh, is the beginning of the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And she handled it very well. I told her, why didn't you just choose one and go with it? She said, well, you told me to preach it, and so I did what I was told. So uh, I told her, well, next time you, you're, the, you're the preacher, in this case, you get to choose what you want to go on that. But she did a very, well, uh, very good job. But that second part of the text that she preached is found in Matthew chapter 7, and it begins in verse 13. And it says this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter, it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is the beginning of the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And from verses 15 to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in, Genesis, or in Matthew chapter 7, verse 27, Jesus is focused on this singular important aspect of our journey. The importance of us entering through that narrow gate. And, and what he says from here on out is, is he's, he's, he's showing us, he's, he's illustrating to us the, the, the tools that can help equip us to enter through that narrow gate. Now, these things are not things that will save us only Jesus in Christ alone saves us. But but these are things to, to help us know how to enter through that narrow gate. And Jesus does this by comparisons of two, just as he had a comparison of two. Two gates, broad and narrow. Two teachers, false and true. Two evidences, words and deeds. And two foundations, rock and sand. And this is how the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount ends with these comparisons of twos all the way down. And as as Pastor Lerone Briefly covered the two gates last week. I loved her illustration of, of, of the turnstiles at the subway or, or the metro. How those things are really built to only allow you to enter through them. All of us that have traveled and have used the subways or the, or the metro to travel, we know that this is the case. It is, it is not meant for you to take a suitcase or other bags or luggage along with you. It is, it is for you and you alone to pass through that turnstile. And this week, as we look at two teachers, or as we look at this, this, this warning about false prophets, which is, which is, in fact, a look at, at truth, we will see that, that God wants us to enter through with His truth. Not this and that and all kinds of other things. It's, it's us and, and His truth alone. So if you have not already, turn with me, please, to the book of Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. And Russ, if you just want to pull me down a little bit, because I know I'm going to get louder, so go ahead and pull me down and I'll modulate some. I don't want to hurt anyone's ears. I'm just giving you a heads up right now. Maybe some of you want to turn down your, uh, well, none of you have hearing aids, I know. We're all young here. Uh, But Jesus stated there in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 15, he begins this section with the statement, beware of false prophets. Now I want you to Immediately eliminate from your minds that Jesus here is speaking only of the extreme crazy conspiracy theorists. Eliminate that idea from your mind. Eliminate from your mind the picture of the person who claims to be a prophet but ends up leading people to some uh, tragic death, or the person that 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 holds up a sign that just you think, man, what, what is that person thinking? What are they on? In a minute, I'll show you that those are not the types of people Jesus is speaking of here. And in fact, when we think of prophet, we oftentimes think only of the people that foretell. But, but within the Bible, the prophets were actually the primary teachers. They, they were the teachers of, of the people, So Jesus is warning really against those who are false teachers, people who are teaching things that are untrue, people that are teaching things that are error. And within this first statement, within this first statement, beware of false prophets, Jesus puts forth an assumption. There is an assumption wrapped up in this statement. The assumption is, is that there is a truth we can know. There is a truth we can know. I can't know what a false prophet is. I can't know what, 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 what error is. I can't know what untruth is unless I have an objective standard of truth by which to measure it against. You can't know if something's true unless you have an objective measure of truth by which to measure it against. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, what, comes to the Father but by me. That's, again, that, that, that narrow gate language, that narrow way language. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Jesus praying to God the Father in John chapter 17 and verse 17, praying for his disciples, praying for his followers. Jesus says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify them, make them holy, set them apart by your truth. And then Jesus says, and your word, your word is truth. Your word is truth. That's very important for us. Jesus warns us, beware of false prophets, false teaching, untruth, and at the very beginning of this section of Scripture, the very beginning of this this conclusion that Jesus is, is bringing us to a close of the Sermon on the Mount, I come under the realization when Jesus says, beware of false prophets, beware of false teachers, I come under the realization that I can't even know if I'm being led astray unless I first accept that there is an ultimate truth and an ultimate authority of truth. I can't even know if I'm being led astray unless I accept that premise. There are some in this room, some watching online or or on TV, that have beliefs that are not based upon truth of the scriptures, but, but more upon their feelings, what feels good. And I would say that, that a vast majority of us actually struggle with this, this reality, and I'll, sh- I'll show you what I mean. Pastor Larry Osborne, he's the pastor of a mega church near San Diego, California, called North Coast Church. And he wrote a book on leadership that I read. And, 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 and in this book, Pastor Osborne says many Christians, he's talking about the challenges of being a leader in, 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 in our modern context and in our modern culture. And he's saying, many Christians march to the beat of their own drummer, which happens to be a mashup of ideas about Jesus and a mashup of ideas about the Bible, but they are ideas and not truth. He continues, they assume as long as what they do what is right in their own eyes, God will be good with it and everyone else should be too. Now we can look at that and we can judge those people, but I want to just share a little insight into my mind and I want to be honest with you. Because of our society and because of the culture I was raised in, because of some of the friendships I have, because of some of the the family relationships that I have, because of of maybe even some of my political leanings, and just because overall I desire to be a, a nice guy, there are ideas in my head, there are feelings in my heart that I wish were truth. That I wish were truth. It would make so many conversations easier. It would make so many others I know feel, feel okay or, or more accepted by myself or by the church or, or maybe even in their minds by God. It would make some, some premarital counseling sessions a little less awkward. It would make a Bible study, when you come to that, that one study that you, oh man, we're going to trip up on this one. It would make those things so much easier and less less awkward. The conversation with the, with the divorcee or the conversation with the young couple, some of these things would be so much easier if what I felt and what I desire to be truth were in fact actually truth, but they're truth not by the word of God, but they are truth by societal standards, but they are truths that cannot actually be supported by the word of God, and therefore, myself as a Christian, myself as a believer, even though I may want them to be true, they cannot be my truth. Truth. Jesus declares, beware of false prophets. One of the false prophets can be our own hearts, our own own feelings, our own desires for something to be true that's not really true according to the word of God. Beware of false prophets is a declaration that there is an objective standard of truth and that standard is not my feelings or not what I wish to be true. And that's where this premise of this text begins. Now the way I've set that all up of course, by the way, and let me just come back to this, the way I set that all up, there could be someone here saying, man, all the, the more liberal folk, like the pastor, he needs to hear that. But the rest of us are good. But the fact of the matter is, is this reality of being more influenced by our feelings and by our, by, our, by, by what makes us comfortable or by what we like is, is a challenge for all of us across the spectrum no matter who we are. Let me, let me illustrate it to you like this. In every pastorate that I've had the privilege of serving in, I've never done communion in any church in what has been on the acceptable or normal or traditional time frame or model. And what I mean by that is within most churches, Adventist churches, you know, you have communion four times a year. And you have it on Sabbath mornings, and you have it every 13th Sabbath. I've always been a little bit of a rebel at heart, and i got to hold on to something. And so I've never done it quite that way. In some churches I've been at, we've had five communions in a year. And someone will say, well, Pastor, we already did communion four times this year. Why are we doing it again? In other churches, we have it three times a year. And people say, Pastor, we didn't do communion four times this year. And sometimes people say, well, why aren't we having it on Sabbath morning? Because I've had communions on at prayer meetings. We've had communions on Friday nights. We did a communion here on New Year's Eve that wasn't a, a, a prayer meeting or a, a Friday night. We've done communions all over the schedule. And everywhere I've been, I've received notes from people. Every, every church I've been in, so no one's unique. Everyone, every place I've been in, I've received notes from people. And you would think by some of these notes that I was breaking a commandment of God or, or that they had caught me stealing from the tithe pastor you are not doing what God commanded us to do Those, that's an exact direct quote pastor you are not doing what God commanded us to do with communion and I'll say we, we do communion but pastor not Sabbath morning not every 13th Sabbath not four times a year and trust me, I understand where these folks are coming from. People are comfortable with what they're comfortable with. But, but remember how they framed it. You're not doing what God commanded us to do. But that's not truth. Jesus never commanded us to do it at least four times a year or on the 13th Sabbath or even every only on Sabbath mornings. I mean, even the, even the service that we built it around wasn't even a Last Supper. That wasn't even a Sabbath morning. That was a Thursday evening. It was a Thursday evening. The service we acknowledge is the root of communion based on the Last Supper. Communion is very important. It's a very important service. But how we do it and when we do it and the schedule in which we do it is not based on truth. It's based on feelings and traditions and some folks that voted somewhere. That's what it's based on. So we all, across the spectrum, struggle with this. What we're comfortable with, or what we feel, or what we wish was so, becomes truth. We are all susceptible of putting our feelings, our truth, over absolute truth. But Jesus declares, beware of false prophets. And then he continues on. He says, false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, are ravenous wolves. Remember a few minutes ago I told you that I don't want you to read this but to put out of your mind the idea that this is only speaking of, of, of date setters or extremists. This is only speaking of conspiracy theorists. That is not the case. Jesus is warning about teachers and about, about teachings that are not going to necessarily be on our, on our wacko radar, I mean, we all have a little bit of a wacko radar. Radar. Most of us do, at least. If you don't have a wacko radar and you don't know what I'm saying right now, then hopefully you're married to someone who does to help keep you, you know, safe. But most of us have this. We, someone says something, and we just th- 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 something doesn't seem right about that. Someone, someone. Uh, we read something. And we say something doesn't seem right about that. We 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 have a radar that kind of helps us to judge some of these things. But Jesus isn't speaking of those people that will alert us in that way. The false prophet could be the Sabbath school teacher or, or, or those watching on Hope Channel or online. It could be their Sunday school teacher. It could be a, a, a small group leader. It could be a pastor. It could be the neighbor that is really into the Bible and, and says, you know, I want to share with you a truth. It, it could be anyone that teaches truth that could be leading us astray or teaching us false things. The Bible says, Jesus states, that they come to us in sheep's clothing. They come to us in sheep's clothing. And I would say this, it is even possible for some that are in sheep's clothing that are teaching air to not realize that they are guilty of that. And I say that, I don't even think it's possible. I know it's possible because I can speak from my own life and my own experience, and Christi- Christina can, can testify to this That when her and I were dating and when we first got married, I taught a gospel that was not the gospel of Jesus at all, it was a gospel of burden and of persecution in many ways. If you were my sister, I have two sisters, and my sisters did not want to call me on the phone because when I asked them what was going on in their lives, if they told me something that was a little askance, they would receive a a lashing. And I would tell them they're saved by grace, but man, I made it very clear that unless they followed every ounce of the law, they were... Doomed. I was a sheep in wolf's clothing teaching what Paul speaks about when he says, why have you gone back to putting yourself under the law when you've been freed by, by grace? So you can, you can do it, and I didn't realize I was doing it. You, do, you can be a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing and not even realize it ourselves. We can do that. But Jesus tells us that all of us can be aware that there there is a way that all of us can be aware whether the teacher or the listener all of us can be aware of these false prophets of these these false truths verses 16 through 18 Jesus says this you will recognize them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles so every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. The Bible tells us that we can know the right from the wrong, truth from untruth, the, the, the true teacher from the false tree, teacher by their fruits. And while fruit is often viewed primarily as the outward character and the conduct of the individual... I believe in the context of this particular passage, the fruit is actually a metaphor for the actual teaching of the individual. The fruit is not just speaking about character or, or, or the actions of an individual, but the actual teaching of the individual. Actions are important, and we're going to get to... Actions next week, and so I hope you will come back and we'll see some of the the actions that God calls us to live out in this world and in our lives. But in the immediate context of this passage right here, I believe the fruit is the man or the woman's actual teaching. I believe this is made more clear in Luke chapter 6. If you want to go just two books over to Luke chapter 6, we refer to the Sermon on the Mount as that section of scripture in the book of Matthew, but in fact, Luke has, has many of the same teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. He has the Beatitudes and the woes and the love your enemies and, 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 and counsel on judging others. And then he has, in Matthew chapter six, verses 43 through 45, he has this same teaching about knowing a person by their fruits. And it gives us context to understand Matthew chapter Seven and what the fruits are that Jesus is speaking of. Matthew chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Same language. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor the grapes picked from a bramble bush. Same language, just reversed the fruits. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of this, his evil treasure, produces evil. And then it says this. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The fruit here that is, is being spoken of is what is actually coming forth from their mouth. What they are actually teaching. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Truth speaks. Matters, y'all. Truth matters. Jesus establishes, beware of false prophets. He lays down the assumption that, that there is a truth that we can measure error against. There is an objective truth we can measure error against, and truth matters. Jesus tells us that, that, that we can know truth from error based on the fruits, based on what someone is teaching. Truth Matters. I was listening to a podcast this week. It's called Startup. It's, it's a secular podcast. It's not a, a Christian podcast at all. I think it's on, on NPR, put out by, by NPR. And I was listening to this podcast, and they were talking about uh, the decline of churches in North America, in Canada, and the United States, the, the declining of churches. And the podcaster, which I was very appreciative of his honesty, and I was appreciative of, I mean, he was very clear. He said, he said, I came, the studies have shown, and he goes, and while I wish this were not so, listen to this, he said this, while I wish this were not so, it showed that while all churches are declining, or people say all churches are declining, there is one type of church that is not declining, in North America. And it is even growing amongst all generations. And guess what that tr- church is? It's not a denomination, it's a type of church. A church that clearly defines and firmly sets their boundaries of truth. And this podcaster said, I wish this were not so. I, was, I appreciated his honesty. He said, I wish this were, were not so. And so he said, so I researched, why is this the case? And he laid out a number of beliefs that they believe, and, and, and he says, this makes no sense to me, why people would believe these things. And he laid out these number of beliefs, and he talked to a sociologist. And the sociologist said, because it seem, uh, we seem to find in humanity that there is a desire within humans to have answers and to know truth, to understand truth, or to, to see truth. There's matter, truth matters, even for those who say truth is all subjective. Truth is all relative, even for those people. Something inside them desires to have a foundation, a firm foundation of truth. Truth matters, y'all. And Jesus says we can know truth, we can see truth by the fruits, the teachings of others. And the next verse in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 19 affirms us to even another level of just our own comfort here in this world. It says, every every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What this is saying is that allowing ourselves to be followers of the cultural culture's truth, or allowing our own emotions to be the dictators of truth, allowing our heroes to be the dictators of truth, allowing society to be the dictators of truth, allowing what we just wish to be true to be the dictator of truth, can ultimately not only lead us to to be drawn away from Jesus, but it can ultimately lead us to destruction. Jesus says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We can be led away by air. Remember, the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount is all about our journey through that narrow gate. And Jesus is, is telling us, wanting to give us the tools and, and, and the ideas then, and the resources that will, will help us on that journey, help us stay on that path and he is telling us that not every truth, not every idea that you wish were true will lead down the right path. There is an objective truth that I have, Jesus says. So then what is the call to action out of this text? And what is the call to action out of this sermon? And let me start with this, because this is very important. What this text isn't calling us to do. Hear what I said. What this text is not calling us to do. And this is important because I'm going to tell you a story of someone that I heard have a different call to action out of this sermon. But this text is not calling us to be, to establish ourselves as little gods and the ultimate arbiters of truth. That is not what this text is establishing or or, or calling us to do. This text is not calling us to go on a witch hunt and to find every person that, 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 is, that is teaching error and to, to gather them up and to, to shame them and, to, and to, 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 to curse them and to mock them. It's not calling us to do that. And that is very important. The reason I tell you that is very important is because I was at a camp meeting number many, many, many years ago, about seven or eight years ago, I was at a camp meeting. And I was walking through the auditorium, and there was a gentleman who had recently written a book, and, and I had read the book. I didn't necessarily agree with the book, but it had been endorsed by some folk, and, and it had been print, printed in one of our publishing houses. And so I sat down in the back to listen to this man talk at this seminar. And at the conclusion of his seminar, he was talking about this text, and he said, beware of, of, of wolves in sheep's clothing that come in amongst us to infiltrate us. And here was his call to action out of this text— he said, I want you to go back to your churches and help us clean up our church. Because there are wolves amongst you that are infiltrating the church and need to be taken out. And he said, I'm going to give you some signs of the wolves amongst you. And the very first thing he said, and I, I will quote him directly, the very first thing he said that is a sign that we've been infiltrated by wolves, is he says, they are individuals that have gone to non-Aventist institutions of higher learning to receive a degree, and they've come back in now to destroy God's flock. This was his first sign. Now, I just want to give you a little heads up. That means from the president of the Adventist church, All the way to the pastor standing before you, watch out. And Pastor Gaspar, he has like multiple degrees, so really watch out for him. (laughs) And a lot of people in between. His call to action out of this text was, was go and hunt them down. Another point he made was, was, you'll know them by their language, by the language that they speak. And not not the teachings that they give, because I can agree with the language that they speak and what they the teachings. But but specific words. He said, if they use phrases like kingdom growth, then don't listen to them. And of course, the famous one, I'll say it very softly: spiritual formation. We allowed a whole church to be hijacked by words. But then he said another one, which I found very interesting. He said, and if they talk about or if they mention the word meditation, I thought, I've read this lady, her name's Ellen White, one of my heroes, she uses the word meditate and meditation all over the place. Folks, these, this is what his call out of that was to be. So that's what I'm telling you. This is not a call. The call to action out of this text is not to go and hunt down people and try to, make ourselves little gods and arbiters of of truth. Here is the call to action, and it's found in verse 20. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is not a call to a witch hunt. This is a call for each of us to know the truth for ourselves. That's what that is. This call to action is, what is implied in this verse is you will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them by what they teach. You will recognize them by the words, that, the, the, the teachings that are coming out of their mouth. You will recognize them by their teachings. How can I recognize someone and their heir and teaching them in truth unless I have studied the truth for myself? I can't. It's not a call for a witch hunt. It's a call for us individually to be more devoted to knowing the truth, truth matters and it matters that we know God's word for ourselves not based on our feelings not based on the study of a pastor or a sabbath school teacher not based on 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 a book we read and really liked not based on anything else other than being led by the Holy Spirit Jesus says I will send you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth into all truth And Jesus said to us in the prayer in John chapter 17 and verse 17, Your word is truth. So, what that tells me is that I spend time in the word of God and I ask the Holy Spirit to lead me and to guide me into all truth. As we are on this journey through the narrow gate, Jesus is saying, There's one way, there's one truth, it's one faith. Walk in it. Know it. Beware of those who try to lead you off of that truth. So know it and know the truth for yourselves.